Hello, Bookstube viewers. So a little while back, Lisa Capala, who does uh, the fantastic Where's Wilmington show, asked for volunteers to uh, run camera. And you know we're run on both paid staff and volunteers at WCTV for her show. And she was featuring two people who were starting a literary magazine in Wilmington. What did your friends and family think when you said you were going to do this and really launch it? Uh, we've been getting a lot of uh, great attention when we share the project online. Mm -hmm. uh, people are very supportive. Um, I know I sent the project to some of our professors at Assumption, very excited about that. So, okay. um, and again, I think also um, it's just, it's a great time to do this kind of stuff. I was just going to say that, yeah. and this is the only regional publication for New England, right, for uh, online magazine. I think you said in one of your blurbs that you, you guys are doing something kind of new and different. With this exact mission and... Yeah. Um, sort of vibe. And this is something that had never occurred to me. The last, my last encounter with a literary magazine was very bad poetry in junior high at, um, in a literary magazine called Fragments, uh, which I don't even want to think about. And I was intrigued and I reached out to Lisa and I said, tell me more about these people. And she did. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to wait until the literary magazine comes out and then I'll have them back on my show. So Lisa is kind of the prophet of what's to be in Wilmington and now it's come to, the project has come to fruition. So I'm so pleased to introduce you to John Bishop and Brett Murphy Hunt and their Portrait of New England, which is a brand new literary magazine. So welcome to you both. Thank you. And Thank you. of course my first question will be how did Wilmington ever get to be worthy of an effort like this? So John's actually from Wilmington. I moved to Wilmington a couple years ago, but John and I went to college together, um, and we've always, you know, stayed friends over the years, and it just kind of fell that way. So <laughs> we ended up in the same place after ten years after college. But what? It, what's? Um, where did you both go to school? And do you have like English lit backgrounds or? Tell, yeah. tell me about your background. Yeah, so we both went to Assumption College, class of 2011. Um, I studied political science and English literature. Um, Brett studied uh, global studies, right? Well, and, yeah, and global English. studies, economics, and, and I was an English minor. Yeah. Then I went on to pursue English um, for my master's. Ah. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, I mean, we both, um, you know, we both knew we wanted to work on a project together. So we were trying to figure out what that project was going to be. Um, and then um, we kind of realized that um, even though uh, there are kind of regional writers, right? Like there's, um, uh, there's uh, Paul Harding, it was kind of like a regional writer. Um, Tinkers? Did yeah, he did Tinkers. Did Tinkers. Okay. Um, uh, Stephen King, you could call a regional writer. I mean, uh, but there, there, there really was a kind of market um, for a home for, for regional writing. So that's, that's why we decided to pursue this project. So when, on, and Brett, like what, what, tell me about some of the things you brainstormed about before you came up with a literary magazine. Were there any ideas you had that were discarded? Um, I don't think so. I know it was definitely going to be something along the lines of a literary magazine, literary journal, we weren't really sure. Um, but then when we thought of the name and we're like, oh, that actually could be kind of cool. And like John said, you know, the regional literature, there's really not to our knowledge, kind of exactly what we're doing. There's really nothing else out there. Um, so after some light research, we said, you know what, I think we could do this. Um, and kind of started from there. I think it was 
what, three years ago that we really kind of put the idea in place and mm -hmm. just started so that's, putting I mean, pieces together. So three years gestation time isn't really a long time when you, when you think of it. I no. mean, that's pretty amazing that it came together over that really short period of time. So now that we're dealing with the internet, of course, very few things ever see the light of print and hard copies anymore. Is there going to be a hard copy or are you, are you sticking to online? We, we would like to do print eventually, but um, you know, just to save money, um, you know, we figured an online uh, publication would be better at first. Especially because you know when you're starting something new, we don't you know you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Uh, but again, we were both really surprised and happy with the response we got. I mean, like when we put the submittable page out there and started advertising, we were getting we were getting inquiries from from um, you know from some some writers who had been published in some big places. So wow, yeah. So how, where do you advertise for your writers? I mean, so advertising, it, it, submittable in and of itself kind of has its own built-in discover feature. So this is a website called Submittable? Yeah. So, I'm not familiar with it, so oh, tell sure, us sure. about it. So Submittable is the platform that we use for submissions. Um, and a lot of the more prominent literary magazines and journals kind of use that uh, as well. So um, on account of having so many different, um, I guess, publications for people to encounter on that website, they have this discover feature so you can kind of, you know, as an aspiring writer or an established writer, you can go on and say, well, I have this poem, what might be a good place to submit it? So just by virtue of that, I think we got a lot of people, um, but obviously on account of um, just our connections and academia, friends, family, spreading the word, I think people really like the opportunity to send their work somewhere. Um, so I think that was, that was helpful in and mm. of itself. So um, did you get so many submissions that you really had to like say, uh-oh, we ha now we have too many? Yeah, we had to really um, go through everything. And you know, we had, we had a ton. We had people, it was kind of funny, I mean, we, we had people who probably weren't reading the, you know, the, uh, the kind of guidelines that this is, uh, you know, this is strictly New England, right? You know, we were getting, we were getting submissions from like Poland. And oh they're like, my here's my experimental piece, um, uh. you know, on this. And we were like, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> not really what we're looking for. Yeah. I think and it just shows how eager writers are to get ab their, their yeah. work out, um, you know. And really to hopefully to the right place. Right. Because, sure. you yeah. know, like you don't want to be the Polish, poor Polish writer sending something. So what are your guide, what guidelines do you have other than that the writer has to be New England based, let's say? Um, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be New England based. It just has to be about, about New, New England. England. In yeah. some loose way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, so, so we have that. Um, you know, we, we're wel we welcome uh, new writers or established writers. Um, you know, you're welcome to submit poems, short stories, essays, photography. Um, you know, our, our first issue is sort of thematic. Um, that we wanted them to focus on this idea of like a, like a mountain range, or yeah. you know, um, so people kind of played around with that. Um, you know, we have, um, but um, that's you know, we're, that's that's kind of basic, like on on a basic level, it's what we're looking for. We want um, all these different kinds of things that focus on that. Um, so, how did you come up with map? So, is each it's is each issue going to have a theme? I think so. Um, 
and you know, not every single piece that's submitted has to be about mountains, right. literally or figuratively. Um, right. But I think it, it allows you to tie some of the pieces together within it. And um, we actually, we have an uh, assistant editor that works with us, actually one of my former students. Oh, wow. And she picked the theme for this mm. particular um, inaugural so in issue. submissibles, did you put that the theme of the first issue would yes, be? Yes, in the call for submissions. Yep. Just so people know, you know, that that would also be something that we would be looking for. Well, that also helps, I think, because again, you know you're probably going to get, well, you, you said you were surprised at how many submissions you got, but, you know, you still, it doesn't hurt to narrow it down right. just a little bit. Right. Yes, um, that's true. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to, at this point, um, I, I picked out two pieces no, I don't think either, neither of them are the whole piece sure. that really, um, that I really enjoyed reading and, and I was lucky enough to, you know, get my copy that I think the day it came out and I went through it and I really enjoyed it. The photography is beautiful. The artwork, as you can see from the cover, is magnificent and um, I'm hoping you'll let us feature some artwork during the show. Sure. But um, I'm going to just, I'm going to read uh, two pieces. Uh, to you, books to viewers, because I knew that Brett and John wouldn't want to have to pick out their favorites because that wouldn't be fair to all we the We don't writers. have any favorites. They yeah, were all, you know, all of our favorites. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So um, this first one is by Robin Gow, and it's called Mountains. And this is, again, just a piece from it. I'm pretty sure the mountains that shrug themselves blue over there, pointing, are getting taller since I was a little girl in a back seat being tossed between them as my mother drove with two hands on top of the steering wheel. So I thought that was, to me, was so evocative. Who hasn't, you know, been through that? Um, but the mountains are incorporated in there, and you can really um, see what the little girl is seeing through her eyes, through the car ride. There's a window, there's mountains, there's her mother, there's you know, her own probably lack of consciousness about I'm a little girl and this is what I'm seeing. And then when she grows up and gets older, this is like a vision that's locked in her. Mm. And I thought it was really just beautiful. In a few lines, it was beautifully portrayed. And the next one is by James B. Nicola, and it's called The Rail Trail. The rail trail in my hometown runs along the Quinnipoxit River, where 150 years ago there chugged a textile mill in the middle of woods with no road, only train tracks to transport raw materials in, finished products out, and young Italian ladies who worked there and lived there in and out. I know all this because mid-trail, rising from its ruins, an outdoor exhibit with plaques and storyboard signs tells the tale of the Springdale Mill. On maps, the surrounding area of Holden is occasionally labeled Springdale. Whether the village named the mill or vice versa, I don't know. But the rail that has replaced, the trail that has replaced the tracks has quickly become a popular place to jog, power walk, or bike. It also invites you to stroll with a friend and talk about nothing in particular, anything at all, or everything you can possibly think of, or with my nephew. So here again is, you know, another, this one gives you the, the history and the current. And, you know, I think we all, in New England especially, we are so used to living side by side with, with historical everythings. I mean, the fact mm. that you can 
go to Walden and even sure. though it's not the exact shack that he lived in, it's a facsimile and you can see probably pretty close to what he saw when he was there. So I think that was also, that piece really, again, talked to, both of them talked to New England, but this one even more because everywhere you go, there are towns that have little parts of them that used to be blah, blah, Something mill, else, or, you know. Yep. So I think, I think both of these pieces were really good. And I think um, they, both the ones I picked give, the, give someone who hasn't read the magazine yet kind of a good feel for what they might find if they, if they picked it up and read it. It's a type of, so a literary magazine, I think nobody sits really, sits and reads them from cover to cover unless right. you're like, on an airplane for six hours or something. <laughs> and I think the beauty of it is that you can easily read it, put it down, pick, pick it up it again, reread sure. what appeals to you. And the visuals are just beautiful too. Um, so uh, what was it like to put it together? So do you, once, once the submissible opened, how long did you leave it open for submissions? I think it ended up being, let me see, October, November, December, January, February, March. Six-ish months? I think so, yeah. Is that about right? Mm -hmm. um, I think at first we got primarily literature, so a lot of poetry, some short stories, um, and then I think we were lacking on the visual art end for a while. Yep. So we did an extended call, I believe from January of this year to March, in order to um, you know, kind of leave the door open for a few more art pieces, and we did get those, which, as you saw, um, we were able to kind of sprinkle in to break up the literature. Um, and really add another element. So that was that was good. I'm glad we made that choice. Yeah. And then it was did your uh, assistant editor? Did the three of you sit down and make the make the cuts and decisions? Yeah. So what we did was you know we each read through um, the submissions. Um, the uh, the platform has a kind of tool that you can say did you like it? Did you not like it? Um, so we we kind of made our picks. We talked on the phone. We met in person. Fought um, it out. No, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, well, we, there were probably you probably did have to fight. There were probably some uh, yeah, you no, felt the, strongly about, and John right, didn't, yeah. and vice versa. We had a few. We had a few yeah, conversations. No, that, over. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, so that was that was an interesting process. Um, you know, um, really getting to you know uh, select what we wanted because we knew you know then arranging it and then contacting the writers. Um, you know the generosity of a lot of of, a lot of the people we were working with too. I mean that was that was great to have this kind of back and forth. Um, and and you know um, so many of them were were rooting for us too because they knew this was like a new project. Um, and uh, you know some of them were, were sending emails saying like uh, you know you're almost there and you know I know it was really cool. Yeah. And oh, you must have needed that somewhere yeah. along towards the, way. the end. It's yeah. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> So did you set yeah. yourselves a, de a deadline saying, okay, really our ambition is to have this out um, like late August or early September? Well, so we said summer 2019, and I think we did it on August 30th. Yeah, so we almost <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, we, made we it, right? just made it. Yeah. One of our writers wrote to us and he said, congratulations, you had 11 hours left in, in this <laughs> I can just see this writer at home, like, summer, going, yeah. uh oh, August, uh oh, I'm still waiting to hear. People I'm still go back to school. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, is it going to be monthly, quarterly? Have you decided? Um, I think this was such a big undertaking that we're going to take a couple months, just kind of take a breather, let this, you know, kind of circulate. Um, and I, I don't really 
foresee us being able to do it any more frequently than annually. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a shame because there's so many. I mean, I was like, when I finished this, I said, oh boy, you know, this is like, you know, it's, you know, this is the summer now, so maybe like the next one will be out in the winter, so I'll have to be like, I'll have to wait until the next issue comes out. So for the second issue, will you do the same thing you did with Submissible in the same way and have your your advocacy and battles for what gets accepted and what what doesn't? Did you? Is there right. anything that you'd change now that you've got the first issue under your belt? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably keep it the same. Um, you know, we'll select you know, a kind of theme that we can suggest to people. Um, but I, I think for this time, because, um, you know, this this obviously was a new process for us, um, you know, that we have it under our belt. Um, you know, um, you know, putting out a publication is not easy, and, and, you know, obviously at any time, but now that we've done it, we have a better sense of what it's going to be like. So, um, you know, so I, th I think, um, that that'll probably be different. We'll we'll be we'll have we'll have more of our sea legs, I think. Yeah, streamline yeah. it a little bit better yeah. organizationally. Yeah, because um, you'll be going through. You'll know what work. We'll know right. what to do time. this time around because right. it was. So what do you think it is about New England? Because I mean, there are regional writers all over the country. You know, there are southern writers. There are writers from Texas. You know, there. But what what would is there any common thread that you feel? Uh, was was visible when you assembled all the material and you looked at all the material since it had to be about New England, not you don't have to be a New England resident, but it had to be about. Was there any? What sense did you get of what people? I don't know how to how to explain it. Was there like a a New England sense sensibility was, right? that yeah. came out of it? Yeah. So I think you know um, one of the goals we had from the start was to let the um, the people who are submitting to us tell us what New England was. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in anticipation of that, I know in the call for submission, something we did write was it doesn't have to be about nature. And I think that that sort of reflex, you know, says a lot to answer your question, right? So the sense of nature and mountains and this sort of quintessential New England landscape. Um, but, you know, inevitably, as you saw, probably as you were thumbing through, Nature is a big part of New England, and that was a big part of the issue, um, with some other types of pieces mixed in. But I think, I, I guess, you know, the, the short answer is probably the natural landscape, right. I would say, that really is the, the defining essence. That's, that's interesting, because um, I'm not a native, I'm a native New Yorker, not a native New Englander, and I've only been here for 40 years, so I don't have a right to speak up about it. But I, I, the sense that I feel about it, other than the enjoyment of, you know, driving into your town and seeing, like, established 1730 or whatever it was. Sure. I mean, you know, yeah. where I grew up in New York, it was established in 1925, yeah. so, you know, it doesn't have that history well behind it. But there's also the idea, and I think this comes from reading a lot of New England writers, that... Somehow when, since we were settled first out of anywhere in the country, and this is not rich soil generally for farming. Right. So, you know, it, it, people had to leave to find better places to farm, which since most people were farmers then, so they had to go south right. or they had to go west. Mm -hmm. 
and of course, we are known for just, there are piles of rocks everywhere. You know, there are <laughs> remnants of glaciers. There are boulders. Yeah. You know, you hear, yeah, I, any, any New England reading you've done from like the 1700s, they're always like trying to get boulders out of the field so they can plant. And so, you know, it, I almost feel like this area got left behind and anyone who clung clung by their nails and had just a real love of the ocean, the mountains, yeah. to stay here and to not feel that you, that you had to push on. So not only do we have the, the best history in the whole country and the oldest, but we also have, you know, the people who came and stayed. Sure. As opposed to, you know, the rest of the country just seems to be, oh, we've got to get west, we've got to do this, we've got to get south. So I think, to me, that is a... That rep that's what rep New England represents to me, just a hardiness and an ability to stay when it's easier to go. Yeah. Really well put. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's <laughs> I've right. I've thought about it for, <laughs> for a while, because I love, obviously, I love to read. And there are, you know, when you read writers who are writing about Texas and the West, it's so completely, completely totally different. different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's almost like, we ought to be probably like five or six different countries when you come right down to it because the country is so large, it could conceivably have been five or six countries just based oh, yeah. on geographic location. I mean, Texas is, should still be part of Mexico when you come right down to it. And, you know, so, so I'm, I'm glad um, you focus on New England. And I also think both of you could have picked up and left anytime you wanted right in your own lives and headed west, headed south, headed to Europe, headed wherever, but you chose to stay as well. So I think that, you know, that tells something to um, the writers who are submitting to you that you're kind of, you're here to stay as well. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me you're like moving to California <laughs> tomorrow or anything No, you're right. Like I that. think, yeah. you know, there is this sort of um, attachment to this area that I think we probably both have, for uh, sure. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, and I think, um, you know, again, that question of, of regional literature, like I know, um, you know, uh, like I, I like to read people like Cormac McCarthy, um, you know, Walker Percy, you mm -hmm. know, um, Marilyn Robinson. I was thinking of people who were evoking a particular region, but we, just like you said, like we have this kind of rootedness, that hardiness, um, and to me that, that is such a source of, 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 of good writing, you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So what do you both do in your, um, your non-literary magazine live since, unfortunately, <laughs> most people can't support themselves <laughs> off not of pay the bills. publishing <laughs> a literary magazine? Um, so I, uh, I teach at Northeastern. I teach English, um, finishing oh. my doctorate right there, um, right now there. Uh, and I also have a tutoring business oh. in the Metro West area, um, tutoring a variety of subjects. I have six tutors and we love working one-on-one -on -one with students. Oh, excellent. And this is for high school kids or for all, all ages? Um, we do K through 12 as well as college. Um, and so Spanish, science, math, writing, homework help, uh, college admissions process. We do Really? Yeah. So um, then I have to ask you, of course, if the uh, recent uh, <laughs> college admissions <laughs> scandals have had any impact on your business at all. I mean, no, because so qualitatively, not because you're not do. you're not bribing soccer <laughs> no, coaches oh at this point, no, right? Just helping kids through the process. Okay, and John. So um, right now, I'm teaching uh, high school. Um, I work at and um, I work at Presentation Mary Academy in oh. Methuen. 
Um, and uh, this is my second year teaching. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Um, before that, I was a journalist for the town crier, for, oh. um, for the Sentinel and Enterprise, um, and for the Ayer Public Spirit. Um, and then I also did some work with the um, Assumptionist Religious Order uh, by Assumption College. So, oh. yeah. So um, you're both teaching, but at different levels. Um, when you when you were both in high school and college, did you like? Did you have a picture in your minds of like the best teachers you had and how maybe you would want to like emulate them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess just as you were saying that, I had a couple images of people from Assumption in particular. I would say for me that uh, I, I feel were formative influences on how I teach my students today. So what did you, let's talk a little bit about what you, what you took from them. Or like what, what makes a great, if you're, if you're striving to be a great teacher, what's, what are the few of the hallmarks of a great teacher? I think um, approachability, hmm. being down to earth as much on the kids level as you possibly can be, you know, 10, 20, 30 years removed from their age. Um, and just being clear, which is, you know, it sounds simple, oversimplified maybe, but um, just, you know, helping kids understand it and, and making sure they understand it before you move forward and dive deeper. And hmm. I think that that's something I always try to keep in mind. Can't overestimate, can't underestimate. That's, I think that's, that's interesting, being approachable. I never would have thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. How about you, John? Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, in terms of, um, you know, teachers who are formative, um, it's funny, like, I, I wasn't, admittedly, I was not the best student in high school. I got to college, um, that really changed things for me. Um, and I remember um, I started falling in love with the liberal arts. Um, you know, I really liked liberal education, and I said, I want to do the same thing um, that these people did for me to other people. Yeah. Um, so I knew I wanted to work at either college or high school. Um, and, uh, but when I think back, um, you know, we sort of have, I think our desires can come through even as kids. Um, so the two things I like to do as a kid, I used to make like picture books, so writing, and I used to like playing school. So that oh, kind of. Um, so then you fulfilled all of your childhood dreams. I, I, I guess so. Yeah. All the boxes. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, for me, like I, I think, um, kind of like Brett said, approachability, um, being there for them, listening to them. Um, I find a lot of kids sometimes they, they don't think they have a voice. So like kind of hearing oh. hearing them, um, and and as as a lot of people have said to me, you know. Um, respect and listen to them and they'll, they'll bring it back to you. Um, so that's kind of what my approach. I, I love the thought of you developing an, an appreciation of literature and liberal arts when you got to college because I think, you know, there are varying high school experiences. You know, there are kids who, you know, do well, they take tests well, sure. they play, my, as, as my daughter was told, she played school well. You know, they're, well, they're teacher pleasers, you know. They're, yeah whether naturally or whether their parents nag them into it, they are. And th but I think there are a lot of people in high school who just really have, don't have yet an appreciation of how good school can be when it's working well. So I'm so, I think it was a wonderful thing that you went to the right college and had the right teachers who were able to open that up to you. Because I think a lot of people who don't succeed in life never 
get that opening to the possibilities of you know what reading, thinking, sure. critical thinking mm -hmm. can do for you. So we're almost out of time, but I just want to go back to um, Portrait of New England for a minute. Um, what, um, when you had disagreements, what were your, what, what are your differences in styles that would have made you disagree about whether a submission should make it or not make it? So there were three of us. So as I mentioned, we had the assistant editor, uh, Smriti Ishwar. She is now a student at Tufts University. She did ah. an excellent job for us. Yeah, she was um, great. She was great. So I think having three people in a way was helpful um, just because I think she kind of gingerly threw her opinion one way or the other. When Jamie so she and was I like the fulcrum, right? <laughs> yeah. okay. A little bit. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I think we do have slightly different styles, I would say. Um, I kind of like the like the quirky pieces uh, to try to round it out, make it make it a little different. JB doesn't like what is it? It's nostalgic pieces that you don't like. Yeah, well, well there, were, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were some that um, I, you know, first reading, um, I, I had initially had an aversion to. I was like, this is, you know, this is like too sickeningly sweet. I don't, ah. I don't like this. Um, you know, I prefer, um, I kind of like a hard realism. Um, which is funny because I am like I am a very admittedly sentimental person, but that, that, <laughs> that, that doesn't translate <laughs> into you, what I like to read. No one else is allowed to do style. that. Yeah, just you, yeah, right? So you know, uh, so there you know there were some times I was like oh, I don't know about this, and then you know uh, I was eventually worn down, and then uh, you know I read the piece again, uh, a couple a couple of pieces, and worn I said, "Worn down, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no fighting, I don't like to fight." So here. so I read the pieces again. I said, "You know, I was I was wrong. I, uh, you know, ah. I was wrong about this." So yeah, that's interesting too yeah. because. I guess you have to, Brett. Were there any times where you gave in on something? I was going to say I conceded sure a few times too. Okay, so. good. <laughs> well, that, I mean, it seems to me that with your fulcrum, that was like the perfect way for things to go. So, since John did tell us about some of his favorite writers, Brett, uh, just before we close, who are some of your favorite writers? So, I, I guess I tend to be very old school. Um, I like top three: Shakespeare, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Edgar Allan Poe. Ah, Those are my top okay, three. okay, Nathaniel Hawthorne. So you got a local boy in mm -hmm. there too. I was going to say, yeah, perfect for England, right? So. Okay, well, um, I'm sorry that our time is up. This has been a lot of fun. And um, I'd like to ask you if, when you have your next issue, if you'll come back, because if it's going to be annual, then there'll be like a whole bunch of different beautiful covers, poems, yeah. uh, writing to speak about. And of course, that'll, um, that'll make sure that I get the next copy when it comes out. So are you in agreement that you'll come back? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, this was great. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you so for having thank, us. And yeah. thank you so much. And Book Stew viewers, um, I'm going to let Brett and John tell you how to get a hold of the first issue of Portrait of New England. So the website is portraitne.com. Um, so from there, right now, it directs you right to the um, icon where you can click it downloads a PDF for you, and you'll have it right in front of you. And do you provide a means for readers to give you feedback at all? Um, well, we are active on social media, so we, so we have, um, you know, we, you can contact us uh, via email, um, uh, editors at portraitne.com. Um, you know, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, so, you know, we have all the social media uh, present, you know, the presence out there and stuff. So. Okay, well, then I'll put yeah. all that information up um, 
at the end of the show so, uh, so people can get to the magazine and then can hopefully give you some feedback because I'm sure you'd like some, especially Absolutely. if somebody says, what was that saccharine sweet thing you had in there? <laughs> I didn't like that. But thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. And, uh, Bookstew viewers, uh, have a good night and pick up Portrait of New England online. Bye-bye. <laughs>